Hi to everyone. My name is Aurelio Porfiri. I am the host of this program. I am a musician, composer, conductor, and writer. And um, this podcast is for our newsletter, uh, Cantus, that is a, a newsletter in, uh, about sacred music for English-speaking people. And today I have the pleasure to have with me Professor David Byrne, Uh, Professor Byrne uh, studied music at the University of Oxford. Uh, his research focused on the later 15th and 16th centuries with particular interest for Heinrich Isaac and his contemporaries, interactions between chant and polyphony, source studies and early music analysis and music and theology. Uh, Professor Byrne is a member of the editorial board of the book series Analysis in Context, and he is also a, a professor uh, at the uh, Louvain Musicology Department, where he is the head of the Early Music Research Group. So, uh, uh, Professor Byrne, thank you for your participation. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very pleased to be able to be a guest here with you today. Thank you. So today we are going to speak about uh, music and theology. That uh, is a kind of topic that uh, to me is very uh, dear because uh, I really think that uh, certain kind of music is theology. And, uh, and we know that certain musician, uh, like, uh, for example, Palestrina was called uh, the theologian musician. Uh, because his music really is is a, a form of theology. Now, what kind of theology? Of course, we, we can discuss. But first of all, I want to ask you why uh, you get the interest to uh, to study the relationship between music and theology. That's a very good question, and one which I'd have to answer in several different ways. Uh, partly from my own training, I. Were, I was trained as an organist and as a church musician uh, before almost anything else. And so uh, amongst my first or perhaps most important encounters with music of any sort were through or were within the context of religious circumstances. Uh, that's a very general kind of, kind of answer. Uh, and then more specifically in the context of my own research, although this is not completely separate from my own musical background, of course, uh, I ended up becoming uh, an, uh, a specialist in the music of the late 15th and 16th centuries. And that's, uh, well, music and theology is a kind of perennial topic in historical terms, actually, but in particular, around the late 15th and 16th centuries, one of the um, most important discussions was the relationship between music and the spiritual or music and the heavenly or whatever you might like to call it. Uh, and that comes to a head, of course, in the context of the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation, where, along with many other different aspects of life, uh, music and the role of music and the place of it was really put under the microscope uh, in terms of its spiritual or theological content. So it's actually, it's a more or less an unavoidable topic if you deal with the area of music history that I deal with in any case. But you uh, you, you mentioned now that uh, 
you um, have a background of a church musician uh, pro uh, before your uh, background as musicologist, or, or probably the two go together. Uh, I think you know. Yes. Yeah. So you you know very well that uh, um, I I don't know if. Uh, if in your place is the same, but usually there is this kind of mentality, you know, where uh, music is music, theology is theology, you know. So it means that there are two different things and they don't relate to each other. Uh, but I, I think this is completely false, and this is false also for painting, for example. I mean, there are some paintings are best uh, uh, explanation of theology that many. Uh, many books. Uh, so, um, why for you? Uh, I, I, there is this kind of separation. My my own take about this is that, of course, uh, with theology books and all, we 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 can easily um, grasp the concept. Uh, but music, uh, you know, that the, there is the very long question about what is the meaning of music. And you, know, you know, this is a quite long-standing question. That maybe will never be answered properly. So, uh, but but I feel that music is able to say deeper things than many uh, um, I don't know speeches about theology. So, how you uh, how you cope with this kind of uh, difficulties? Well, this is yeah. Again, it's a. It's it's a very complicated question actually, and which can be addressed like in both both personal and also in, in in more historical terms. I think if you look in the longest um, historical kinds of terms, and perhaps also in the broadest cultural ones, you would see that perhaps the situation in which we uh, tend to live in Western Europe now is indeed, as you say, actually historically quite aberrant. Um, music has always had a role, but irrespective of what kind of spiritual or theological aspects that you might want to consider, music has always had a role in spiritual ceremonies and in um uh is, and has always been more than simply a kind of amusement which is perhaps if you ask someone in the street now what's the function of music what does music do i would guess or haven't done it but i guess that the the most likely answer you'll get or the first answer you'll get from most people perhaps even ones with a background in in religion of one sort or another would be that it's basically a kind of amusement and that is that's actually in in i, I think not only in, in historical terms, and perhaps even in um, kind of human or anthropological terms, actually not what music has usually done. It's had, a, it's had an amusing, amusing kind of aspect, but it's usually um, accompanied rituals. It's had a spiritual kind of dimension. It's been seen as a kind of reflection of things that we can't see. Um, it's been seen as a, as a, it's been seen for exactly those kinds of reasons as well. Sometimes as problematic um, and as a dangerous thing because it might lead you in, into, um, uh, yeah, into maybe um, sin or into along the wrong kinds of path. Uh, but it's always been considered as something more than simply a kind of diversion. Um, so I think actually the. The, the the connection doesn't need so much so much arguing it's 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 when you try to actually uncouple music from other things that that really should be um something which should be questioned but it did you know did this what, what you say is uh, really reminding me of something that uh, i uh, published uh, yesterday 
uh, I, I published yesterday uh, exactly on my um, uh, newsletter about circular music an article that is called uh, Music That Hurts. Uh, uh-huh. Because I really think uh, uh, that music uh, should be uh, should hurt more than entertain, as uh, many people think. Uh, I, I I say in my article. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if you may agree or, or what I say, but uh, I say that's why the effort of those who make music for the liturgy is an effort to go beyond, not to achieve. We need a liturgical music that hurts that is able to make blood come out from the vein of the word because uh-huh. it is inviting. To invite is an interesting verb with numerous meanings ranging from wanting to forcing. So I, I really believe on this kind of, uh, you know, uh, if, if you want a very powerful uh, idea about the role of music. So this idea that, uh, yes, that you are right. Many people think, oh, music for in- entertainment. But I, I think that is a very misleading conception. Yeah, yeah, I, w- I would entirely agree. And I think, uh, again, you see, if, if you look at the discussions, not only in the 15th and 16th centuries in the period in which I deal with, but uh, actually before, you know, think about, I don't St. Augustine or um, medieval philosophers who discuss what what music might do or the music of the spheres, even go back to Pythagoras. Um, This this music has always, or sound and music has always had a role which has been much greater than uh, simply, simply to amuse. On the contrary, it has been considered to be much, and, much, and much. Indeed, uh, you are a specialist yeah. of the 16th century. So uh, let me um, leave you um, with uh, with a, a little uh, question on the three on the three uh, most important uh, uh, Renaissance composer of the Roman school, at least. Okay, so uh, I, I talk about my own stuff. Of the Roman school, so the three okay. most important we consider, of course, Palestrina, Victoria, and Lasso. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are the three most important, and the three uh, are, uh, were very peculiar because uh, there, there was some saying. I don't remember who said this, but uh, uh, my, my uh, I think a priest many years ago told me this that uh, Lasso was considered the composer of the of the secular courts. Uh, Palestrina, the composer of the papal uh, uh, court, and uh, Victoria, the composer for God, uh, you, because of the very spiritual character of his music. I, I don't agree very much because I think Palestrina too is uh, very, very uh, spiritual music. But uh, um, what, what I want to ask you is that uh, um, uh, in what, if you should, uh, for example, uh, uh, write a book. Uh, I know that you you are a specialist of uh, Enrique Isaac, okay. But if you should write a book about, uh, I don't know, uh, Palestrina uh, theological uh, understanding or Victoria or Lasso or so, how mm-hmm. you would approach uh, the theological elements in their music? Because that is not very easy. Uh, once I conduct the Tues Petrus by Palestrina inside St. Peter's Basilica. And uh, I can really give you a a sort of theological view on how Palestrina with the music paint the idea of the uh, papal uh, primacy. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, how you would um, 
approach this team in general? Yeah, um, at, at a number of different levels. Um, there's one which is a very immediate kind of level. And even in, in, in Palestine, you, the style is te tends to be considered to be a rather kind of restrained style compared to, say, Lassus or someone like that who tries to really paint every single word. Nonetheless, even in Palestrina, you get this um, a certain level in, of immediate response to the text, a kind of pictorialism. Uh, that's only, but that's only one very immediate level. And beyond that, you have uh, a level as a more general kind of stylistic, um, a more general kind of stylistic level where, uh, and this, this ties all three of those composers actually into um, later 16th century music, theological aesthetics, the kind of thing which is talked about at the Council of Trent. Uh, where they have an attention for a kind of sober, restrained um, rhetoric. Um, so they will have attention to the declamation of the words. It's very important that you hear the, the text. Um, it's, uh, it's very important that you can understand immediately what is being talked about. And at the but, same uh, time, uh, sorry, David, yeah. but, but we, we have also to say to our listeners that uh, the Council of Trent uh, made that kind of remarks because uh, 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 of what situation they were uh, answering, because as you know very well, uh, before that uh, there was this explosion of complications in polyphony, and so you have uh, composition very, uh, I mean, very elaborate, but you cannot understand anything because, uh, of course, there were many, many parts. So uh, uh, this restraint was not uh, 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 to, uh, I have to say, to 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 diminish the, 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 the music uh, quality, but only to say, okay, you can do whatever you want, but the text should be understandable. Yeah, but it's, it's a, it is a, that's a spiritual question, why the text should be understandable. And it's not only even a Catholic thing, and uh, it's, it's also, uh, it's part of, uh, for example, the Lutheran tradition as well. Uh, they also considered that. I mean, it's one of the reasons why they wanted to translate the Bible into a language people could understand. Uh, and that's not a step that the Catholic Church took at that point. But nonetheless, this, it, the, the, the same is actually, it's actually a common aesthetic principle. Uh, and it's one which is based in, uh, in ultimately in spiritual goals. So it's, it, uh, it, it does tie into, to theology in, in that respect. Uh, and then at the same time, um, there's a question of, the, you know, how exciting that this music should be. And I don't mean exciting simply in enjoyable terms. I mean, the extent to which it should actually excite you. Um, that's a very widely discussed matter. And even from the late 15th century onwards, uh, there's already uh, a kind of suspicion about the extent to which you might enjoy the music. Well, that goes all the way back to St. Augustine, you know, the extent to which you might enjoy the music. If you enjoy it a bit too much, you might not be really focusing on what you should. Um, so there's this kind of sober restraint, which is what ultimately what Palestrina is trying to do, which is inspired by Gregorian chant, ultimately, uh, but not Gregorian chant that we know today. It's a Gregorian chant that Palestrina also created <laughs> in the late 16th century. Uh, he, he, he has the Medician edition at the time, of course. Yeah, so yeah. Was, uh, that's, that's extremely said, uh, revealing. Yeah, it, it was a corrupted... Uh, version of uh, the what we consider the authentic Gregorian chain restored by Solen. <laughs> but but I want to return to something to you say because I think it's very interesting when you say uh, 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 the importance of uh, understanding the text. But uh, uh, for me, uh, maybe I say something that uh, will surprise you. But that's not the most important thing 
uh, I, I mean, I can listen to beautiful uh, Russian uh, circuit music where I don't understand anything, but be very moved spiritually by the beauty and the quality, the sacred quality of the music. So yeah. uh, this idea that we should understand everything, of course, uh, this is this uh, has a lot to do, especially in the Catholic Church with the uh, come what come from the Second Vatican Council, and of course for the Protestant uh, with the Lutero Luther uh, um, uh, ideas. Uh, uh, but uh, um, uh, we we should say that uh, um, uh, that uh, is not the most important thing. That uh, uh, to be effective, you have to understand the text because in any case uh, um, uh, even if you understand the, the 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 semantic of what the text say does not mean you understand the text because uh, um, the the text are, uh, is from the the bible i mean some of them are very complicated uh, concept so the normal people maybe they don't understand even if you tell them the exact meaning but i don't think that is that understanding that affect uh, people uh, um, spirituality i don't know what you think well it reminds me there's a um i there's a letter from luther where he's talking about a gregorian chant it's called impachi in a dipsum you might know it and uh, and he says i love this melody even since i was a child but I like it even more now I know what it's about. <laughs> uh, he doesn't dispute this, uh, uh, the, the, that level of, um, let's say, sonic, sonic um, uh, attraction, something like that, where you can listen to something and simply in purely sound terms, for example, Russian choir, or even the better, maybe even better example, instrumental music, which has no words at all. And uh, you can listen to a symphony by Beethoven and it can touch you in some way. And, uh, it's actually been, been a longer concern for philosophers of, aesthet of aesthetics to try and work out how that works. What is it is that it's doing? Um, with verbal music, then you have at least two levels. You have the sonic aspect, which you can enjoy, but you have this extra level of verbal. Whether you want, you know, you, the extent to which you understand it is another question, of course. Well, but you are an organist also, no? so you, you understand yeah. that uh, yeah, uh, yeah. if we accept that you have to understand, so the organ music should be banned because uh, there, is no, <laughs> there are no words. It's, it's happened. I mean, you only have to look at certain strands of the, of, of, of the reformed churches who banned organ instrumental music precisely because it was meaningless. You know? <laughs> and so, also the Catholic, it, there are some priests that think like this. Uh, ah, me, a pre uh, I, I asked a priest if I can play during the mass, and he told me, uh, in short, he told me no, uh, because uh, if there is no singing, uh, the organ cannot be played alone. That is false, because uh, uh, for Catholic, uh, uh, we, we can play the organ. I mean, these are the, the rules, uh, even if everyone is doing whatever they want, but this is really false. So uh, this idea, I, I think, is completely nonsense. And it's not only nonsense, but but uh, how many young people you know that they listen, I don't know, to, to, to American songs and they don't know English? or they, So it means there is a quality in the music that is uh, about the music. And so yeah. this is why we have music. We have, uh, and so we have to accept music on its own uh, 
uh, in its own regard. I mean, I don't know how to say. It. So it, it, <laughs> we are too textual. I think we, we have become. I mean, too 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 Protestant in the mentality. You know what I mean? I'm sorry if uh, I don't know if you are Protestant, but you know what I mean. Anything at all, so it's fine. You can't insult me. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but you know what I mean. So, so I mean, the, this kind yeah, of yeah. Uh, emphasis on the on the uh, word. Only the word. No, it's not only yeah. that. Yeah. But it was, I mean, you call it, you call it very Protestant, but, you know, it was in late, for example, in, in the, in, in post, um, or, or in counter-reformation, so in the second half of the 16th century, Roman spirituality, for example, was based in exactly the same principles as, as, as the Lutherans or as the reformers, um, or not exactly, but I mean, they, the overlap is much more significant than you might imagine. Uh, uh, and then this, this kind of separation co comes later. Uh, I, I agree with I mean, my own. Uh, uh, actually, my, you know, my initial the initial reason I started playing the organ had nothing to do with where it was. It had to do with really. It had to do with enjoying the sound that it made. It was a purely visceral reaction to the sound of that instrument, and so I wanted to learn to play. I think also that. Uh, uh, you, uh, maybe it, it happens to you, uh, and I can tell it happened to me certainly that sometimes when I play the organ, uh, there are people that uh, approach me and say, "Oh, this really make me to pray." Oh, so it, mm -hmm. it, it, it was only purely sound, uh, and, and of course uh, that's the problem that we cannot express what is in that music that make us to pray or people to pray or to think about uh, spiritual things. And I, I think uh, this is probably one of the most uh, difficult um, uh, topic because uh, I saw that there are certain English author, uh, now I don't remember the name, but uh, uh, that they start for some decades to study uh, music under the uh, the profile of uh, theology, no. So, uh, but I think uh, um, this is a, a very British thing, uh, and I think it's very valuable. Uh, personally, no, we have not so much this thing in Italy, or even if something is developing lately on this kind of uh, um, of, of topic. But uh, mm -hmm. do you think that uh, um, uh, there will be a possibility one day? where uh, um, theology will not only be studied on uh, treatises or uh, on the speeches of theologians, but also on, uh, uh, for example, we can study the nativity, uh, also looking at the paintings, speaking about the nativity, because they say so much about how men interpret that kind of event. So do, do you think yeah. this will be possible one day? Yeah, yes, yes. Um... Uh, actually, the re relationship between painting, or between between visual, between the visual, uh, between the sonic and the spiritual, uh, is that uh, it's an extremely rich and complicated triangle, and it's thing it's one which has been explored, and not only I think with painting, uh, but perhaps even more obviously, but with architecture. Uh, you, you are in Rome, you're surrounded by these buildings which yeah, don't need to be how they are, right? They are as they are because they want to produce a certain effect on you, the person who's in them. Um, they are as they are partly for visual reasons. Also, it's very interesting, uh, for acoustic reasons. I mean, the shape of a church is such that it, uh, 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 let's say the traditional shape of a, ch of a church is such that it c carries and alters sound in certain kinds of ways. And so I, uh, uh, there's, there's still a lot of, I think, 
basic research to be done in understanding exactly how those nexus of things um, really relate to each other. Um, I don't think you won't come up ultimately with a single conclusion. I think the, the only way you'll be able to do it is, is in relation to specific cases in specific instances where you can see that uh, the effect um, uh, or that a certain effect was sought by using a kind of multimedia architectural, visual, sonic um, to create an, 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 a certain spiritual effect. That I'm sure that, that is documentable, I think, and could be um, very interestingly researched. Yeah. And I think that, uh, of course, one of the repertoire that is uh, more interesting to understand this uh, relationship between music and theology is certainly Gregorian chant. And yeah. uh, one cannot understand uh, this relationship if one uh, does not understand uh, the, the, the importance of uh, a Gregorian chant, an importance that today is uh, very much under threat because we know that, uh, uh, especially in Catholic churches, is uh, uh, not uh, uh, not anymore very welcome. So, uh, do you think that yeah. uh, um, at the level of academic studies, there is an awareness about uh, uh, in, in like musicologists that are in your same kind of area uh, about the importance of Gregorian chant? to understand the whole development of Western music only uh, also from the point of view of music as theology? Or do you think that uh, this kind of American vice, in order to be very, uh, how to say, it's, uh, expert only in a very tiny thing, uh, not understanding everything happening around is uh, taking place also in Europe? Well, um, the case, yeah, Gregorian chant is a, I think a particularly interesting case for a number of reasons. One is uh, in purely historical terms, and they're, they're, it's the oldest Western repertory that we have. It has its own history. The sound you think when you listen to Gregorian chant now, you're somehow listening to the voices of the past, but you're not. I mean, you've, you mentioned Solem yourself. You're listening to, some kind of, <laughs> to something which is part of a living history, a living tradition, which has evolved and changed really uh, fundamentally, including being totally stripped down, rebuilt numerous times in the course and of its history. Aesthetically yeah. questionable. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but uh, 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 the other, and the, the other, another thing too uh, is related to the role of, uh, of what possible roles you might think Gregorian chant might play now in the church. It's true; it's not always the most popular kind of repertory. But that's um, one of the particularly interesting parts of it is that in broader, in broader social terms, it actually is. Um, you only have to look at the like platinum selling um, CDs or recordings of the monks of Silos, you know, the Canto Gregoriano, to see yes, some, yes. millions of people are buying that recording. And the question is, who are they then? Why? And they're not Catholics who like Gregorian chant. It's a whole other sector, um, maybe a kind of new age spirituality or people who are in search of something else. And so Gregorian chant actually can offer um, uh, something which perhaps other kinds of music cannot. Uh, and actually, now, right now, uh, we have a research project at, uh, in the University of Lerman, which is trying to use that as a way, as a kind of backdoor to help, like, um, promote and educate people about music history. Uh, we have a project about Gregorian chant, actually, about 50, chant in the 15th and 16th centuries and how it relates to um, Reformation and Counter-Reformation. Uh, and what we were, we were, at the end of that project, it's not just an academic project, it's a project that has a, 
valorization component as well. So there will be some, it'll be an exhibition and also concerts. And for people will come who are not particularly interested in 15th or 16th century chant, but who like to listen to chant. And then we can, once we've got them in our concert hall, then we can, um, we can tell them other things that they might not have realized that they ever wanted to know, but actually will, will find it very useful in the end to know. So. Thank you. And uh, um, so um, I, I want to thank you uh, to, uh, to, for, for engaging in this uh, discussion that I know uh, is very complicated because uh, the topic is so broad that uh, it's not easy to, um, to, 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 to say something meaningful in half an hour. But I hope that we give some uh, ideas for our listeners uh, that they can, of course, uh, uh, know more, uh, maybe reading some books or listening to some music. And uh, that would be already a, a great uh, achievement for our program. So I, I want to thank you for the time that you have given to us. Uh, I really appreciate. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for inviting me. I enjoyed it. Otto, thank you very much to everyone. I remind you that uh, if you want to um, subscribe to our uh, to our podcast, uh, you can go to uh, cantus at substack.com uh, cantus.substack.com and this is uh, our podcast uh, in English, and there are also many articles and many nice things that uh, you may enjoy. So thank you very much to everyone, and bye-bye.